Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. My freshman year in college, one afternoon, early evening, I was jogging, and I stepped on a drainage ditch. I stepped in a drainage ditch and I broke my ankle pretty severely. And I just laid there. It was in a kind of far off part of campus. And I laid there knowing that at any moment someone would come by and help me and time passed and nothing. So I crawled back to my dorm room and As I'm crawling with this broken ankle, a few people slowed down and looked at me, just probably thinking that I was out of my mind doing something really unusual, and they just kept going. I probably didn't do a good enough job of drawing attention to myself. I thought crawling across campus might do it, but apparently not. So I made my way to my car. I'll never never forget trying to stand up and get in my car. And because I was full of wisdom as a freshman in college, I didn't go to the campus nurse, and I did not go to Brookwood Hospital, which was a stone's throw from Sanford. What did I do? I decided to drive 60 miles one hour away to my hometown. That was the smart thing to do. Let me tell you, about halfway, I thought I was going to pass out because of the pain. I kept hitting my steering wheel in some crazy attempt to redirect the pain somewhere else. Why did I do this? I'll tell you why. My mother and my father were in my hometown. And up to that point in my life, they were everything. They were who I went to when I was in trouble, when I was scared, when I was afraid, when I was in pain. Every single time. And so my instant reaction, my instant thought was, I have to go home. Because I'm apart from them. And I need them, and I want them, because I know in them there is love and safety, and they will know what to do. So when we come to the book of Ruth this morning, one of the things that we're going to see as we walk our way through this book, chapter by chapter and verse by verse, is that Jesus... Our Redeemer is the one who brings us all the way home. Every time. He is the one who calms our fears. He is the one who saves us. Let's pray. Lord, open up your word this morning. Help us to see what we may not be able to see apart from the work of your Spirit. Guide us, strengthen us, 
draw us closer to your son. We know that you can do this. Forgive the one who speaks, for I am completely and entirely imperfect. May Trinity only hear you. Amen. So we like in the Psalms, which we journeyed through briefly this summer and we will return to next summer, we're going to do very quickly the who, what, when, where, and why. This is going to help you understand the book as a whole. We will not do this each Sunday, but just a couple of times to give you bearings as to where you are in God's redemptive message that is the Old Testament and the New. First of all, who is the author? We don't know. Scholars readily admit we're not sure. But it is a story, a very enticing story about Ruth. What is the book of Ruth? Well, it is ultimately, if you back out and look at it from a distance, it is a narrative of God's sovereignty as he redeems his people over time. God's sovereignty as he redeems his people over time. When? 1000 B.C. is what conservative, historical, biblical scholars think regarding this book. It was written during the reign of King David. Where? Where does Ruth take place? Two locations. One is Moab, which is a foreign nation, separate from Israel, that worships foreign gods. And then, of course, the nation of Israel, God's people in the land of promise. And finally, why was Ruth written? Why is this book in the Old Testament? Why has God said, this needs to be here and you need to understand it. Well, in the time of Israel, the purpose of Ruth, the why, is to explain the legitimacy of David as the Davidic king of Israel. Yes, David has an ancestor that's a Moabite. It comes from a pagan country. But that doesn't mean that he's illegitimate as our divine, excuse me, as our sovereign king. God has placed him on the throne for a reason. He has a purpose. Trust in his leadership and believe that God knows what he's doing by giving us this shepherd boy king. Now from a broader perspective, as God's people on this side of the cross, it helps us understand that Jesus is the Davidic king and that David's kingdom has come to reality in Jesus. Ruth helps us understand his lineage and why Jesus is the fulfillment of David, why he is our covenant Lord. It's very important to know that. Jesus is God's son. He's a descendant of David, and he is the eternal king. Who, what, when, where, and why. So I want to look at our text, but I want us to take a step back. I want to give you an overview of verses 1 through 6. I mentioned 7 earlier, I apologize, it's 1 through 6. We'll begin next week with 7. 
And I just want us to have a better understanding of these verses individually. And then I want to give you three points about what I think the Lord is trying to communicate in this passage beyond the details. So verse 1. It mentions that this is during the time of the judges. Scholars seem to think that it's in the earlier period of the judges. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in depth later on. The, the time of the judges was a difficult period in the life of Israel. Judges 21-25 says, In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It was cyclical. Israel is failing. Someone would, would rise up, a judge, and call Israel to covenant faithfulness. They would turn, return to the Lord briefly. Things would look good, and then it would get worse. And this was a spiritual decline. It kept deteriorating situation after situation after period. So just an awful and dark time in the history of the nation of Israel. You also see in verse 1 that a famine is mentioned. Now, this is, this is very important to understand during the Mosaic Covenant. Because in Deuteronomy, Moses talks about how under the covenant that the Lord has made with Israel, that when they are unfaithful to the covenant, when they do not follow Him, when they do not listen to Him, when they do not obey His word, that there are consequences for covenant disobedience, for covenant unfaithfulness. And Deuteronomy reminds us, as it reminded Israel, that one of the failures, one of the results of said failures is famine in the land. It was an agrarian economy. They were an agrarian people. And this was a consequence of their covenant unfaithfulness. So not only is this in the time of the judges when things were very challenging for Israel, a famine has descended upon the land. Verse 2. Elimelech means my God is king. Bethlehem means house of bread. So here is Elimelech, who is a part of the nation of Israel, who lives near the town or lives in the town that is called the house of bread. And during a time of covenant unfaithfulness, when there is a famine, what does he decide to do? Leave. My God is not going to be true to his word. My God is not going to deliver my family. My God is not going to deliver my people. I'm not going to hunker down and, and worship him and obey the covenant. I'm going to get out of town. I'm headed over to Moab. I'm going over to where the pagans live. I am going to uproot my family and seemingly do what my name said, seemingly going to do the opposite of my name. My God is king. Well, maybe he's not. Maybe he's not faithful. Maybe he's not good. I have doubts. I have fears. So pack up, everybody. Let's go. Let's leave the house of bread. 
Now notice in verse 1 it mentioned a sojourn, which seems like kind of a temporary journey. But in verse 2 it says they remained there. Elimelech is hunkering down. He's doubling down on his decision, which seems to be against the word of God and the will of God. Then in verse 3 and 4, we see a consequence of his bad decision-making. He dies. He dies apart from the land of promise. He dies apart from his ancestors. And to make matters worse, what has happened because of his poor decision-making? His sons have married Moabite women. Now, if you have just briefly read through the Old Testament, you know that Moabite women are not necessarily a good and encouraging thing. That when Israel was in the wilderness, it was the Moabite women that the men of Israel fell in love with and they brought them to their gods. So when we get to verses 3 and 4, we're seeing the negative consequences of what has transpired when someone does not take seriously the word of God and what the Lord has to say. Verses 5 and 6. Woes upon woes. The death of his sons. We've left home. We've left the house of bread. We've left our king. Even though my name meant my God is king, we've come to this pagan land. We've gone to this foreign nation. We've gone to this place where they worship other gods. My sons have married Moabite women, which have been an issue with Israel for generations. Their struggle in the wilderness bringing them to worship other gods. And now Naomi's sons have died. Now Naomi's sons have died. This is a different society in which they lived. So my father passed away when I was very young. And one of the things that helped my mother, who had no brothers and sisters and had no living parents was the social security that I received from my father's death. It helped us. They lived in a society where if you were a widow, you were destitute. You had no governmental help. You completely relied on your family, particularly the men in that society, to save you, to help you, to carry you forward. And so, because of her husband's bad decisions and his poor leadership and his inability and unwillingness to submit his heart to the Lord, Naomi now finds herself in this foreign nation destitute and afraid. And she hears, and I, this is so redemptive. This is so encouraging as you think about it and you read about it. She has to return to Bethlehem, 
the house of bread, the birthplace of our Savior. Do you see what the Lord's doing there with the big picture? Isn't that incredible? She needs to return to the Lord because he is there and he is blessing his people. Come to Bethlehem and find the Lord. Isn't that incredible that in the Old Testament you're seeing a message that says, come to the birthplace of Christ and there you find the Lord. He saves. The connection is unbelievable. So now there are three things briefly that I want to extrapolate from this passage for you. We're going to zoom in. Listen, trust, and worship. Listen, trust, and worship. So one of the things that our family likes to do on Saturday nights is we have movie night, we gather together, and we, we get in the den and we watch something together as a family. And sometimes it's not a movie. So recently we have been watching Restaurant Impossible. I don't know if you've ever seen this on the Food Channel. It's one of my favorite shows, which is quite interesting for someone who cannot even microwave popcorn. I am no use in the kitchen whatsoever, but I like this show. And here's one of the things that I like about it. Chef Robert Irvine comes in to an impossible situation. It is a restaurant that is horrible. It's the worst of the worst. And he brings his wisdom and his experience to bear on the situation. And really the first 30 minutes is sometimes hard to watch because he's so intense and he's so truthful and you can see people recalling from him because they don't like... I mean, who likes to be told what to do? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a trait of the fall. No one likes to be told you're doing it the wrong way, you're not succeeding. We don't, in general, like to be told what to do. But then you begin to watch everything turn around. And when the show is over, they mention how the restaurant has improved, how it's succeeded, how it is going well. And you know, for me, I think one of the reasons I like it as I thought about this is that we live in a society where our culture communicates that there's no right and wrong. And that wisdom is kind of up to you. And that's really counter to what the Word of God says. That He has spoken, He is holy, He is just, He is sovereign, He is all-wise. These are His words. It is the path that we should follow. We should listen to Him. So our, the world in which we live says, is there truth? I don't know. This show seems to portray the importance and significance of this is true. If you continue to run your restaurant this way, you will fail. And his words seem to be wise. And so as we look at Ruth chapter 1 verses 1 through 6, one of the things that jumps off the page is the importance of God's people listening to 
his word. Listening to him. As we look at all the bad decisions that Elimelech made, it begs the question, how do we make wise, biblical, Christ-honoring decisions? How do we do that? How do we not end up like Elimelech? And I think there are three things. One, we listen to the word of the Lord. Psalm 19, 7 says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That if we want to make good decisions, that we dive deep into the Word of God. We read it, we listen to it, we understand it, we know it, we memorize it, we engage with it, we live it, we own it. Because this is wisdom that comes to us from the throne of grace. This is eternal wisdom. And so it needs to be engrafted into our life in a way like nothing else. Secondly, prayer. We listen to the Lord through prayer. We submit our hearts to Him. We speak to Him. We engage Him. We hear Him. Prayer is an unbelievable means by which we encounter our God. And it goes hand in hand with the Word of the Lord. I will tell you this. I know very few people, very few people, who are fully engaged with the Word of God and have a life of prayer that are in shambles. They may have had unfortunate things happen in their life providentially, but it's not because of their decision-making. So we listen to the Lord, we come to His Word, we know it, we come before the Lord in prayer. And we ask the Holy Spirit to be with us and to guide us and to help us to make good, Christ-honoring decisions. And then third, there is the counsel of, the, uh, of others. This is, I don't mean to be Trinitarian, but I think that this is true. The Word of God, prayer, and the counsel of others. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a man, a wise man, listens to advice. If you were wanting to make good decisions in your life, if you were wanting to walk the right path, if you were wanting to do what is honoring to your King Jesus Christ, you not only go to the Word, you not only get on your knees, but you go to people that you know who are very Christ-like, and you open up your heart before them, help me to see what I'm not seeing. Help me with my decisions. There is counsel in the wisdom of many, says the Psalms. So we look at Elimelech and we look at how things went terribly wrong. And the way in which we avoid that is that we listen, we pray, and we talk. 
then trust in the Lord. This is very brief. We are going to journey through the book of Ruth in its entirety. But I want to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert from the very beginning. That this book is a reminder that life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is challenging. It's not always agreeable. Sometimes it seems like the Lord has left us. There are deep There are dark valleys. You will go through the fire. You will. Just like the people of College Hill are experiencing this morning. But God is there. Ruth is telling us God is there and He is sovereign and He is with you. It's not overly evident in the first few verses this morning. But I wanted you to see what's coming. I wanted you to see what is going to happen as an encouragement in your own life. I don't know what hardness that each one of you might be experiencing this morning. But Ruth is going to tell us word by word and verse by verse that God is there even when you cannot see Him fully. And then finally... We listen to the Lord, we trust in the Lord, and we worship the Lord. Why do we worship the Lord? Why? Well, if you think about Elimelech, and you think about Naomi, and you think about this family, and you think about poor decisions, and they have left the land, and things are challenging, and things are difficult, and there is death. What does that remind you of? The garden. Adam and Eve. They fail to listen to their king. They fail to obey God. They fail to follow after him. And what happens? They have to leave. They have to leave the land. They have to leave the presence of God. And they suffer the dire consequences of that decision as the fall erupts and sin overwhelms this world. And then you look at our passage and they're cut off from the land. And we see the beginning of the journey to come home to the faithful covenant Lord. And we're ultimately going to see Ruth return and we're going to see the Lord care for Ruth. And then, as the Old Testament and the New Testament unfolds, we're going to realize, we're going to see that Ruth, is a, that David, King David, is a descendant of Ruth. And that Jesus is a descendant of King David. And where is he born? He is born in the house of bread. A Savior has been born to people who are starving spiritually. And what is he going to do? He's going to do what nobody else could do. He's going to return us to the land of promise. 
that Jesus, this descendant of David, this descendant of Ruth, He is going to make all the right decisions. And He is going to feed us and save us and redeem us. And He and He alone is worthy of worship. So we're going to spend time in Ruth, and you're going to think this is a long-forgotten book from the Old Testament. And what I am trying to tell you this morning is that every single word and every single chapter and every single verse should bring you to Jesus, who is the fulfillment of Ruth and David, and who saves them, and who saves us, and He is our King. He is our hope this morning. As Elimelech's name is my God is King, Jesus, our covenant Lord, is our King. He is worthy of worship and He is who we put our trust in today and forever. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the nourishment that it brings to our soul. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be faithful. Help us to see Jesus and help us to trust in Him. It's in His name we pray.